Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we learn a smidgen of history every day. The day was April 15th, 1989. Hu Yaobong, who was the Chinese Communist Party general secretary for several years, died. Hu had become a symbol of democratic reform, and people gathered in Beijing's Tiananmen Square to mourn his death and to support his ideas of democracy and freedom. Soon, the pro-democracy demonstrations spread to other Chinese cities. But by mid-May, Premier Li Peng had declared martial law, and the People's Liberation Army would end up wounding and killing thousands of civilians. Leaders around the world denounced the Chinese government's attack. But economic and political reforms were put on hold, and protesters and activists were persecuted for their actions. In the wake of Chairman Mao Zedong's death, Deng Xiaoping became paramount leader of China in 1978. He launched a series of market economy reforms and installed Hu Yaobang as head of the Communist Party and Zhao Ziyong as the premier. Over the next decade, the public was generally happy with the economic growth and liberalization that was happening in China, as many citizens prospered. But on the other hand, inflation skyrocketed and corruption and nepotism were rampant among government officials. Privatization created a larger gap in wealth distribution, which many people thought was unfair. Plus, there weren't enough graduates to fill the new industry and investment jobs that opened up through the reforms, and graduates faced a limited job market also affected by nepotism. Students and intellectuals became more active politically. A divide emerged between political leaders who wanted to keep instituting reforms and those who wanted more government control. In 1986, students around China protested how slowly reform was happening. They called for human rights and democracy, among other political reform. Many leaders saw this as a slight to China's one-party system and socialist ideology and condemned the protests. Hu Yaobang, who had led the reformer's side, was seen as having too much sympathy for the protesters and was forced to resign as general secretary in January 1987. The Chinese Communist Party dismissed protesters' demands as bourgeois liberalism, but students and intellectuals continued to support reform and Hu. So when Hu died of a heart attack on April 15, 1989, Protesters quickly began gathering in Beijing, Xi'an, Shanghai, Nanjing, Chengdu, and other cities. They spoke out against issues like inflation and salaries and called for greater individual freedoms. There were sit-ins and riots. Protesters issued demands for the government, including calls for democracy, the abolishment of press censorship, and more transparency on leaders' incomes. Demonstrations escalated, and a state-run newspaper incensed protesters even further by running an editorial accusing them of rejecting the Communist Party and government. On May 13th, just before Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev was set to visit China, more than 100 students began a hunger strike in Tiananmen Square, 
advocating for political reforms and protesting the government's refusal to negotiate. The strike earned the sympathy of people around China. Less than a week later, a rally at the square brought in more than a million people. General Secretary Zhao Ziyong, a moderate, asked for compromise and an end to the demonstrations. But other leaders feared an uprising and favored using force to stop the protests. Premier Li Peng imposed martial law in Beijing, and on May 20th, troops moved into the city. The protesters continued to lead demonstrations in Tiananmen Square, and Western reporters captured news footage of the events. But China's leaders were planning an offensive. On June 1st, China shut down live news telecasts and prohibited reporters from photographing or recording the protests. At about 1 a.m. on June 4th, People's Liberation Army troops, heavily armed with tanks and rifles, entered Beijing, advancing to Tiananmen Square. People tried to block them, but soldiers opened fire on the demonstrators. Indiscriminate killings continued throughout the day, as some protesters fled and some fought back. Several soldiers were killed and many were wounded. Similar attacks happened in other Chinese cities, but in Shanghai, an agreement was reached peacefully. It's estimated that as many as 10,000 people were arrested and more than 300 were killed, but there is no official count. After the Tiananmen Square massacre, the government cracked down on protesters, charging many with crimes and executing them. Some of the pro-democracy activists went into exile. Countries that had been watching the events unfold pronounced their disgust, and the U.S. imposed economic sanctions and arms embargoes against China for their human rights violations. Today, China suppresses mention of the massacre in media, prohibits public commemoration of the massacre, and doesn't include it in school curricula. Still, Chinese citizens have spoken out on the subject, and people in Hong Kong commemorate the incident. The last known person imprisoned for participating in the protests was set to be released in 2016, but I couldn't find any updates on whether he actually was. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. Hello, I'm Eves, and welcome to this Day in History class, a podcast that proves no day is a slow day in history. The day was April 15, 1970. The crew of Apollo 13 set a world record for the farthest humans have ever been from the surface of the Earth. Apollo 13 was the seventh crewed mission in the Apollo space program. The first crewed mission to the moon was Apollo 8, which was in flight from December 21st to December 27th in 1968. Apollo 8 orbited the moon and was crewed by Bill Anders, Frank Borman, and Jim Lovell. In July of the next year, Apollo 11 became the first mission to land on the moon. Just four months later, Apollo 12 also landed on the moon. 
Apollo 13 was supposed to be the third Apollo mission to land on the moon. It launched on April 11, 1970, from the Kennedy Space Center. Jim Lovell was the commander, John Swigert Jr. was the command module pilot, and Fred Hayes Jr. was the lunar module pilot. The plan was for them to explore the Fra Mora region of the moon. But a couple of days into the mission, when Apollo 13 was 200,000 miles away from Earth, the activation of a fan in one of the service module's two oxygen tanks caused a short circuit and an explosion in the tank. The other tank was damaged. Just seconds after the explosion, Swigert reported, Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. With Lovell repeating, Houston, we've had a problem when prompted. Pressure in the damaged oxygen tank dropped to zero. Odyssey, the spacecraft's command and service module, was leaking oxygen. The accident also knocked out two of the service module's three fuel cells. The fuel cells were vital in generating electrical power and providing drinking water and oxygen for breathing. But the fuel cells needed oxygen to operate. The crew needed to preserve consumables like electricity and oxygen so they could have a successful re-entry and splashdown when the mission was over. So they moved to the lunar module, known as Aquarius. The lunar module was designed to support only two people for two days, but in this instance, it would have to support three people for four days. Swigert shut down Odyssey to conserve power for the end of the mission, while Hayes and Lovell worked to boot up Aquarius, which would be used as a lifeboat. The lunar landing was canceled, and the goal now was looping around the moon and getting the crew safely back to Earth. Because power had to be preserved on Aquarius as well, the crew drank little water and rationed power. Cabin temperatures dropped to just above freezing. Even though the mission would not land on the moon, the crew still set a world record on Apollo 13. On April 15th, the crew reached the far side of the moon at 158 miles, or 254 kilometers, above the lunar surface. That put them at about 249,000 miles away from Earth's surface. On April 17th, the command module was powered up again, and the service module was jettisoned. An hour before re-entry, the lunar module was also jettisoned. The crew soon landed in the Pacific Ocean near Samoa. Several months after the mission, NASA announced that Apollo spacecraft would be changed to, quote, enhance their potential use in an emergency mode. Later, Apollo service modules included additional emergency battery power and a third oxygen tank. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to send us a note or leave a comment or give us any suggestions for future episodes, you can do so on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. You can also send us that note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.